you please open up your Bible to Matthew chapter 27, that's where we're going to be starting off today. Matthew chapter 27, starting in verse 45. I kind of have an odd request, but would someone be able to get me a tissue? Oh, a whole pack. Wow. Well, let's see. I got allergies. So we're starting in Matthew chapter 27, verse 45. This is God's word. Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And that... And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lima sabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, this man is calling Elijah. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But the other said, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. Then Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And the earth shook and the rocks were split. The tombs also were opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. When the centurion and those who were with him keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place. They were filled with awe and said, Truly, this was the Son of God. Let's pray. Father, we come before you today, Lord, dependent on you. We thank you, Lord, that you need nothing from us. Lord, that you are the only true independent one. That all things flow from you, Lord. Father, we uh, confess our great need this morning. Lord, that we are feeble, that we are sinful, that we are slow to understand things, that when we're confronted with the glory of your name, so often we miss it. Pray, Father, that you would be gracious on us, Lord, that by the power of your Spirit, that you would help us to see uh, these glorious truths the glorious truth of Christ and Him crucified and our great need for Him, Lord, that we would today be able to plunge deeper into the depths of the glory of our Savior. Father, we uh, thank You, Lord, that we are dependent on You who is faithful, who is gracious. We have such a hope in You this morning. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Often, minor details can have major implications. Again, often minor details can have major implications. I kind of, I have a confession here. Don't judge me. One of my favorite shows is Murder, She Wrote. Uh, If you're unfamiliar with the show, Jessica Fletcher, who is played by Angela Lansbury, fantastic actress, is a mystery book writer who just happens to happen upon mysteries like every day. Somehow she's always where there's a mystery to be found. Uh, 
and she has this keen ability to solve crimes. She's able uh, to figure things out in, in almost like a superhero sort of way. The reason she's so good at, at solving these crimes is because she has an attention to detail. She's able to see how uh, different details that she uncovers, different clues, how these details come together and they connect to create a picture of what has happened. And she's able to take these seemingly insignificant details, and when she sees the connection between them, she's able to see what has happened. The Bible has many details in, them, in it. Many pieces of uh, seemingly insignificant information. But the Bible has one divine author, and, and God has weaved together these different seemingly insignificant details. He's weaved them together to create a picture for us. And when we see how these details uh, connect, how they make this picture, we come away more and more being able to see the glory of Christ and our need for Him. And so many details run through the Bible. can be easy to overlook some of them. From Genesis to Revelation, if, if we have a keen eye for detail, if we're like Jessica Fletcher, if we have a keen eye de for, for details, we can see how these details connect throughout Scripture. And as we do, we see their significance. In our passage today, we have an interesting detail, seemingly insignificant. It's a helpful clue for us, as it were, to help us gain a better understanding of the glory of what Christ has accomplished. It's a helpful detail for us uh, to see our great need for Him. And so with that in mind, as we put our uh, detective cap on, as it were, let's reread this passage and think about the details. Again, Matthew chapter 27, verse, starting in verse 45. Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. At about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lima sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So Jesus is there up on the cross. The wrath of God is being poured out upon him for our sins. He's amid dying. Verse 47. And some of the bystanders hearing it said, This man is calling Elijah. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But the other said, Wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. And so they're having this sort of conversation in verse 50. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. He dies. Verse 51, And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook and the rocks were split. And the tombs also were opened. This passage is packed with a lot of interesting details, but I want us to pay attention to one detail in particular. As Christ is experiencing the wrath of God for our sin on the cross, He dies, and we see that several things happen. We see the curtain in the temple tearing in two. Right? We see the earth shaking, rocks splitting, dead people rising from the grave. Something monumental has just happened. Something cataclysmic has just happened. And today, we're going to look at what may seem to be the most insignificant detail of the passage. We're, we could spend time looking at earthquakes and dead people raising from the grave, and that would be profitable. 
But instead, we're going to investigate the fact that the curtain of the temple tore in two from top to bottom. That is, Jesus was dying on the cross. The curtain in the temple ripped in half, as it were, and was opened up. Seemingly an insignificant thing amid earthquakes and dead people rising from the grave. But what is the significance? Why is this detail added? What is the importance of the curtain tearing in two? To understand the importance, we need to go back to the beginning. So we're going to turn to Genesis chapter 3. All the way back. Genesis chapter 3, we're going to be in verse 22. Before we read it, let's orient our minds to where we're at in this passage. If you remember, uh, we see that in, the, in Genesis, in the beginning, that God created all things good, created Adam and Eve, man and woman. We see that humanity enjoyed harmony with God in the garden. We see that Adam and Eve enjoyed God without any sin. They were able to walk with Him and talk with Him in the garden. They were able to, to be in His very presence, as it were. They enjoyed the greatest blessing that God could give them which is himself. But we know it doesn't end that way. The slithering serpent Satan uh, comes into the garden and tempts Adam and Eve, and they sin. They fail. And that sin brings a curse upon human- on humanity. We see that there in Genesis 3. And after God pronounces the curse on humanity, let's pick up chapter 3, verse 22. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man. And at the east of the garden of Eden he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. So here we see that Adam and Eve are kicked out of the Garden of Eden. They're separated, as it were, from from the presence of God because of their sin. And at the east of the Garden, at the the entrance there to the Garden of Eden, what does God uh, place there? At the entrance, He places two cherubim, two angels, who are guarding the entrance to Eden, and a flaming sword that turns every which way. It's as if God puts, out, uh, puts, puts up this big keep-out sign. You can't come in. You can't come into the Garden of Eden. Because of your sin, you can't come in. Because of your sin, you can't enjoy the presence of God the way that you once did. Because of your sin, you can't partake of the tree of life. The, uh, you can't partake of eternal life. Because of your sin, you can't come in. Angels guarding the entrance. Flaming sword turning every which way. Them kicked out of the garden where God's presence was. Well, at this point you might be asking yourself, why, why are we here? What does this have to do with a curtain splitting in two in Matthew? What's the connection here? 
How do these details relate to one another? How does the detail of the angels blocking the entrance to the garden connect to the curtain in the temple? What's the relationship? Well, let's continue collecting clues, as it were. Let's continue collecting details to see this magnificent picture that God is painting throughout Scripture. Let's turn to Exodus chapter 26, where we will see the curtain, more details about the curtain. We're going to be in verse uh, 31. In this chapter, uh, just some context here, in this chapter, God is giving Moses instructions on how to construct the, temp, uh, the tabernacle. And the, the tabernacle, and, and later the temple, if you recall, the structure has uh, two primary sections. The first one is the holy place. Right? This is where the golden lampstand was, where the incense was burned, where the table of showbread was. But there's a second section, right? Connected to the holy place is the Holy of Holies, the most holy place. This is where uh, the Ark of the Covenant was. This is where uh, God's tangible presence was to be with His people in the Holy of Holies. We see in uh, chapter 25, verse 21, God speaking to Moses and He says, of the Holy of Holies, He says, there I will meet with you. This is where God would meet with His people in the Holy of Holies where God's presence was with His people, the Holy of Holies. But between, so you have the holy place and the, the most holy place, in between the two, what do you have? You have the curtain, right? There's a curtain that separates the people from the tangible presence of God. This curtain restricts the people from entering in to the presence of God. And we read about this curtain in verse 31. Again, Exodus 26, verse 31. And you shall make a veil, that is a curtain, of blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen. It shall be with cherubim, skillfully worked into it. And you shall hang it on four pillars of acacia, overlaid with gold, with hooks of gold on four bases of silver. And you shall hang the veil from the clasps and bring the Ark of the Testimony, that's the Ark of the Covenant, in there within the veil. And the veil shall separate for you the holy place from the most holy place. Did you guys notice something interesting about the curtain? What's, what's, what picture is embroidered on the curtain? Cherubim. Angels. Right? We see here uh, that the holy place or the most holy place is separated from the holy place by a curtain with angels depicted on it. More than that, uh, in uh, Second Chronicles, we see instructions for the temple that would uh, replace the tabernacle. And there in Second Chronicles, we learn that the temple is decorated with ornate depictions of trees and flowers and fruit. Now, was that just to make the temple look pretty? For people to go in and say, oh, that's so nice, flowers. Imagine. Imagine you're a priest and you're walking into the temple. And as you walk in, in through the entrance, entrance that just so happens to be facing east, you come into the temple 
and you, you smell a sweet aroma of burning incense. And you look around and you see uh, these depictions of, of palm trees and pomegranates and lilies, and you see this golden lampstand that's in the shape of a tree, a big tree with almond blossoms on it. And ever before you is this towering curtain with angels embroidered on it. You know that God's tangible presence is behind that curtain. But you're not allowed in. This imagery, does that make you think of something? It should make us think back to the garden. It was there to make them think back to the garden. The flowers and trees and fruit, the sweet smells, these are not insignificant details. God is forming a picture for us. These are not just pretty decorations to make people, I don't know, comfortable. It's to hearken our minds back to paradise that was lost. The Garden of Eden. We're to to be reminded of, of the fact that the Holy of Holies, the place where God's presence was, is cut off from the people. A curtain separates people from entering. Angels guard the entrance, so to speak. The entrance, again, is facing east, just like the entrance to Eden back in Genesis 3. God is pointing His people back to the garden and reminding them that because of your sin, you cannot come into My presence. Only one man, only one man could, the high priest, and once a year, on the Day of Atonement. The Day of Atonement was the day that sacrifices were made to cover the people's sin. And we see in Leviticus that the high priest could only enter into the Holy of Holies after a sacrifice was made for his sin. He could only enter in to the Holy of Holies. He could only enter in through the curtain once his sin had been dealt with. The high priest could not enter into God's presence in any old way. He could only enter in the way that God had prescribed. We see that in Leviticus 16, God tells Moses, Tell Aaron, your brother, not to come at any time into the holy place inside the veil, that's the Holy of Holies, before the mercy seat that is on the ark, so that he may not die. If the high priest tried to enter in, to enter in a way other than what God had told him to do, he would die. Judgment would come upon him. Do you see the threads starting to come together? Do you see the picture that's starting to form? God is holy. He hates that which is evil. Man is sinful. He is evil. Because of our sin, we cannot enter into God's good and glorious presence. Eden has been lost. Humanity no longer enjoys walking with God in the cool of the day. Our sin has created this division, this barrier between us and God. Our sin is like the towering walls of Jericho, separating us from the spoils of God Himself. We cannot break down these walls in our own effort. The angels with the fiery sword guards the entrance to His presence. If we were to approach in our own efforts, we would be consumed and lost forever. 
the fiery sword of God would strike us down. If we were to try to tear down the curtain of God, if we were to try to enter into the presence of God through our own creative way, we would be struck down like Nadab and Abihu. Because of our sin, we cannot come into the presence of God. He is holy. We are sinful. He is good. We are evil. If we were to try to enter back into the presence of God on our own terms, we would be like the Israelites who tried to defeat the Canaanites after God told them they would not enter into the promised land. They tried to enter in without the blessing of God. Destruction ensued. Sinful person, do you think you can enter into the presence of God on your own terms? Do you think you can brush aside the curtain and enter into the Holy of Holies? Do you think you can manage to conquer the cherubim and the fiery sword to get back to Eden? Do you think that the good you attempt to do will earn you the pleasure of being in the presence of God? If you think this, and you continue to think this, you will be lost forever. You will be eternally consumed by the fiery sword of God's righteous judgment for your rebellion against the eternal King who has been nothing but patient, good, and gracious towards you. Woe to the person who tries to enter into the presence of God on their own terms. We cannot tear down the curtain through our efforts. We cannot overcome the cherubim guards through our own strength. We cannot hope to avoid the fiery sword on our own. A return to Eden is not something we can accomplish. Sinful man cannot be brought back into the glorious presence of his Creator through a strategy that he has developed. That leaves us with this question, right? This is bad news. What hope? What hope does the sinful person have? How can we enter in? How can we return to the Eden that we lost? Let's turn back to Matthew 27. With this in mind, with the bad news in mind, let's turn back to Matthew 27. With the bad news in mind, let us behold the glory of the good news of Christ the glorious work that He has accomplished for us. Matthew chapter 27, again we'll start in verse 45. <clears throat> now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lima sabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, This man is calling Elijah. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine, and put it on a reed, and gave it to him to drink. But the other said, Wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. Listen, guys, listen. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up His Spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two 
from top to bottom. Christ died on the cross and the curtain was torn in two from top to bottom. That barrier separating people from entering into the presence of God was brought down. The flaming sword no longer bars the entrance. Why? Because Christ took the fiery sword of God's judgment upon Himself. Christ died the death that the sinful sons of Adam deserved for their sin. Christ bore the wrath of God to bring many into the blessed presence of God. The magnificent work of Christ that Jesus, the eternal Son of God, the one who placed the fiery sword blocking the entrance to His presence in Genesis, would take that same sword upon Himself to bring rebels into His fold. The wondrous news of Christ's work that He tore down the curtain that barred us from the presence of God for it never to be erected again. This is gospel. This is good news. We cannot tear down that curtain, but Christ tore it down for us because He bore the judgment that you and I deserve. Amen? They do a lot better in Burundi. (laughs) Amen. Thank you. But there's more. As if that weren't enough. There's more. These more details that God is weaving through Scripture about this curtain, about the work that Christ has accomplished on our behalf. Let's turn to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. We're going to read again Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 22. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that He opened for us through the curtain, that is, through His flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. The writer of Hebrews here is telling the Christian, you can now confidently enter into the holy places. You can now confidently enter into the presence of God Himself. By what means? How is it that the Christian can confidently enter into the presence of a holy God? By the blood of Jesus. By this new and living way that He opened for us through the curtain. That is, through His flesh. We see here that the curtain in the tabernacle in the temple was a picture of Christ. The only way to enter into the presence of God is through the curtain. That is, through Christ Himself. How can sinful man approach a holy God? Through Christ alone. He is the curtain. And the Christian can enter in because that curtain was torn in two because Christ's body was torn in two. We can enter the Holy of Holies, as it were, because Christ was stricken, smitten, and afflicted for us. 
His body was physically torn to shreds by whips, thorns, and nails on the cross. And more than that, his spirit was torn to shreds as he was torn asunder from the blessing of his Father and instead placed under the curse that you and I deserve. The magnificent work of Christ. The only way for sinful man to enter in is through Christ the curtain. Christian, this is amazing news. This is glorious news that you and I can confidently enter into the presence of holy God because God himself became a man and was torn in two for you, for me. What glorious news, what good news. The the curtain has been torn in two. How should we respond to these glorious gospel truths? There's some points of application here actually right in the text in Hebrews. What should we do in light of the fact that Christ has made a way for us to enter into the presence of God? What should we do in light of the fact that Christ is our high priest who has offered himself as a sacrifice for our sins? Let's read verses 22 through 25. In light of these gospel truths, verse 22, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. So what should we do in light of these great truths? Well, first, since the curtain was torn, Christian, draw near to God, assured that your sins are forgiven. You have been washed clean by your high priest. You can enter into the presence of your God confidently with great joy because Christ was torn for you. You can enter into the presence of your God without fear of judgment because Christ bore the judgment for you. Secondly, since the curtain was torn, Christian, hold fast to the hope you have confessed. Hold fast to doctrine, the teaching you have confessed to be true. This is your hope. Hang on to your hope of the doctrines taught in God's Word. Hang on to your hope of the doctrine of a slain and resurrected Christ and the assurance you have in Him. It is finished. He finished it. God is faithful to His Word. Hold fast to these great and glorious truths of what Christ has accomplished for you. And thirdly, since the curtain was torn, Christian, let us stir up one another to love and good works. Let us encourage each other to do what is good and right and true. Let us love one another. And we see connected to this, let us not neglect assembling together as the body of Christ. This here, 
This is the primary place where we get to encourage each other, where we get to point each other to what is good and right and true, where we get to point each other and encourage each other of what Christ has accomplished for us. So let's not neglect this, the assembling together. Our motivation to do so, our motivation to assemble together, to draw together, to come together each Lord's Day, to hear the preaching of the Word, to encourage one another. Our motivation, guys, listen, our motivation is because Christ has purchased this privilege with His own precious blood. Since the curtain was torn, since Christ was torn for us, we can assemble as one body, the body of Christ. We can boldly enter into the presence of God together because of what Christ has done for us. So let us not neglect the assembling together. This is a privilege that Christ has purchased for us. And He purchased it for us by bearing that fiery sword of judgment on the cross. I don't know about you, but sometimes it can, I can think or even feel that this is a burden. Right? That, oh, i got to get up and I'm an introvert and i got to be around people and I'd rather just sleep in a little bit, maybe. That's not reality. This is not a burden. This is a precious gift that Christ has purchased for us. That we could join together as the body of Christ, that we can hear the Word of God preached to us, that each day we get to be with the people of God, We get to worship God's name. We get to hear God's voice in His Word. We get to speak to God through prayer, all in the presence of God. This is Eden, as it were. It doesn't always feel like it, but it is. This is a foretaste of our future bliss, where one day you are going to be stuck with me for eternity. And we'll be all together, God's people in His presence, worshiping Him, hearing His voice, talking to Him again in the cool of the day. That's what we're experiencing now, a taste of that future bliss, here and now. Let us not neglect this precious gift that Christ has purchased for us by His precious blood. So far, in our journey through Scripture here, we've seen that Eden was lost because of sin. The way to God's presence is blocked off with a curtain, with angels and a fiery sword. We've seen that on the cross, the curtain was torn in two so that people may come boldly into the presence of God again through Christ, because Christ was torn in two. But there's more. There's more. Because though we enjoy this blessing here and now, we're able to come into the presence of God through Christ, there's a greater fulfillment to come. We're not done. So let's turn to Revelation chapter 21. We started in a garden. We saw a curtain. We saw a cross. 
And now let's go back to a garden. Revelation chapter 21. I'm going to read verses 1 through 4. So it's John getting a vision of the future here, new heavens and a new earth. Verse 1, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Listen, listen to this. Listen to this glorious future hope that we have. Listen. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be His people, and God Himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more. For the former things have passed away. Because of sin, Adam and Eve were kicked out of Eden, out of the presence of God. Because of Christ, the Christian can now enter into the presence of God. But there's this greater fulfillment to come. You see, we still live in a sin-filled world. We ourselves are still tainted with sin. Because of sin, we're not able to fully enjoy the blessing that Christ has earned on our behalf. Our, our sinfulness, it, it clouds our vision of the greatness and the beauty of God. We don't, we don't see Him as we ought to. We don't enjoy Him the way that we ought to because our sin taints that vision of God. We don't have a clear picture, as it were, now because of sin. But one day, one day there will be a new heavens and a new earth, and we will have new bodies. We will no longer be sinful, and the world will no longer be sinful, and God will dwell with us. This Guys, this is a return to Eden. A return to the garden. The tree of life is even there. We'll be able to walk with God in the cool of the day. We'll be able to fully enjoy the glorious beauty of God together. It's a return to Eden, but it's even better than Eden. It's even better than uh, Genesis chapter 1 and 2. Why? Because there will be no more threat of a serpent to slither into our garden paradise. And we won't have the ability to sin. We will be able to enjoy and worship our Creator, our Savior, our God, without any possibility of it being ruined. Furthermore, for all eternity, we will be able to proclaim the grace and love of God in a greater way than Adam and Eve were able to in the garden. Why? Because Christ was torn for our sins. Because Christ bore the judgment of the fiery sword for our sins. Because Christ is our high priest who offered Himself up as the sacrifice for our sins. 
the infinite depths of the grace and love that our God has shown to us in Christ Jesus. We truly will worship Him and enjoy this God who has been so gracious and merciful and loving toward a people like us. So Christian, boldly enter into the presence of God, assured of your salvation in Christ. Encourage one another to love and good works. And let us not neglect this precious gift that we have on each Lord's Day. This gift that was purchased for us by the precious blood of Christ. This time where we get a taste of the glorious eternity that's to come. Where we gather together as God's people. Where we get to praise God together. Where we get to pray to God together. We get to hear God's word to us together. This truly is a foretaste of the garden, uh, of the greater Eden that awaits us. Amen? That was much better. And so we're going to pray here in a moment. But before we do, this is actually the theme of VBS this year. The garden, the curtain, the cross. And so uh, let's pray for that as well. That kids would be captured, uh, first of all, by their need for the curtain to be torn for them. That they can't enter in and through their own efforts. And two, that they would see the glorious work of Christ for them. And that they would rest in Him alone. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, we thank You, Lord, for Your precious Son. Lord, we cannot, in our own efforts, enter back into Eden. We can't force our way in. No amount of good works we attempt is sufficient, Lord. We are sin-tainted. Our natural inclination is to worship ourselves and to worship things instead of worshiping the one true God. We have no hope in ourselves, Lord. But that hopelessness points us to the only source of hope. That is Christ Jesus, who became one of us who lived the life that we could never live, a life of perfect obedience to you that He died the death that we deserve, that He was torn in two on our behalf, that we might have His righteousness in our account and our sins forgiven because of His complete and finished work, Lord. Thank You, Lord. Help us. Even now, I know that myself and, and us together don't, don't see the, the glory of these truths, Lord. They don't lead us to worship the way that they should. I pray, Father, that you would be pleased to show us a greater uh, clarity of these gospel truths, of what Christ has done for sinners such as us, that we might worship you all the more. Father, we pray that in this life you would help us to encourage one another. We would encourage one another to love and good works, that we would encourage one another to not neglect uh, this, the assembly, the ecclesia, the gathering together of the people of God. Lord, Help us to view this time not as a burden, as something to check off our list. But help us to see this as a, a blessing that Christ has purchased on our behalf. That we would take great joy to be with your people, to praise your name, to hear your voice. 
Father, we pray for our upcoming VBS in the next few weeks. Pray that the kids would be captured by these glorious truths. Lord, that they would see the depths of their need for a Savior outside of themselves. And that they would see that uh, Jesus' work is abundantly sufficient for even uh, the chief of sinners, Lord. We pray this, Father, uh, in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. Now to Him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of His glory with great joy, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. You guys are dismissed. Don't forget to get a prayer card from Michaela.